uh, right here from 10 a.m. to noon, two hours of training. And uh, like some of y'all could be back there besides John John every week, you know. <laughs> he don't mind it, but he could use some help. We all could. It's kind of the thing that you always need to have. Let the sound mess up on Sunday and see what happens, right? You know, be like, whoa, I went to that church. The sound was crazy. I'm not going back. Really? People going to go back because of that. People complain about it's too loud, and they complain it's not loud enough, and they complain that I can't hear the bass. And it's like, excuse me, were you even listening to the words of the song about Jesus, let your will be done? Anyway, so <clears throat> it's, important, it's a part of the deal, that's all. We're, we're talking about fears and uh, the fear of the Lord. And um, this is our third week. And so I did a little search on Google, the top 12 fears of America. Anybody want to guess what this particular poll says that they are? I don't know if it's true or not, but public speaking, what else? Death? Yeah. What else? Fears. Huh? Loss of a job? Fear of dying, death, yep. Relationship. <laughs> incarceration. Fear of getting out of incarceration. <laughs> Homelessness. Woo. Those are good fears, huh? Fear of getting old. How about this? Fear of getting old in Las Vegas. Don't do it. Get out of here. Go down to Phoenix and get to Mayo Clinic quick. Woo. Get out of here. Don't get old in Las Vegas. No disrespect to any doctors or future doctors or nurses here. Anything else? Those Fear of a particular political party winning the elections. Financial loss. Well, these are the ones they said. I don't know if they're in particular order. They might be public speaking. You know, number one fear of Americans, public speaking. Public speaking. Fear of heights, bugs, snakes, and other animals. I would venture to guess that most of these fears are linked to the fear of dying. Like, why would you fear heights unless you thought you were going to fall and in particular die? That's a good fear, though, right? I mean, depending on what you do for a living. Bugs, snakes, and other animals. Fear of drowning, that's death. Fear of blood and needles. Claustrophobia. Fear of flying. This is weird. Number eight, fear of strangers. Maybe? Okay, it's today, hey, especially our children. This didn't make sense. I'm going to redouble. Fear of zombies. I mean, come on. I mean, do these people know zombies aren't real? I mean, is this? The, I'm sorry. You know, I hate to give information that I have not researched, and I, I'm I'm feeling strange about this already. This one makes sense. Fear of darkness. <coughs> okay. Fear of clowns. Come on, really. If you live in Kansas. Fear of ghosts, TV, sh 
And in fact, this article said, depending on how much more, how much TV you watch, your fears will be greater than those who don't watch a lot of TV. There's TV shows about this stuff. Clowns too. Um, you know what's not on this list? It's fear of the Lord. It didn't make the cut. People fear zombies, but they don't fear the Lord as a nation. I'll get back to you on the research of this thing. The first place that fear is mentioned, think about this. This is a new word in the garden. This is a new vocabulary for Adam and Eve. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid from you. By the way, naked's another term that's a brand new vocabulary. Adam had the distinction and the intelligence of naming all the animals. Al Adam had high intelligence. He, he, I believe, was the, because he was the first, and he was born into, well, birthed or created into the garden. I'm thinking born. Well, he wasn't born. No, he wasn't birthed. He didn't have a belly button, right? But Adam was, was highly intelligent. And so these are words that came after they sinned, nakedness. I was afraid. He was all of a sudden afraid of God. And that's how we are. We sin and we hide and we become afraid. Aristotle said, we fear whatever we feel has great power of destroying us or of harming us in ways that tend to cause us great pain. So that helps us to understand the culture of his time that had a hard time understanding a God of love because the Roman and the Greek gods were not gods of love. They were, they were gods that were to be appeased. They were gods that would hurt you if you did something wrong. It also shows us the paradox that exists biblically between casting out fear and encouraging fear. The tension between the two. Those who love God, we're told, that there is no fear in love. But then we're told perfect love cast out fear. And so turning your Bibles to Psalm chapter 34, and I want to give just a little bit of a context while you're doing that. King David has pretend, pretended that he was insane <coughs> before King Abimelech. King Abimelech sees him as an enemy, and he looks down at him, and he sees him with spit running down his mouth, his hair all disheveled, like, you know, crazy. And, and he says, who cares? He's crazy. I don't care about David, but David was pretending because he was afraid of what Abimelech would do to him. Crazy, huh? King David, the man after God's own heart, acting like he's lost his mind, and he's faking. Watch this, man. I'm going to act like I'm straight crazy because this king will kill me. David. Well, it says, and you might be familiar with this, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. <coughs> my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him who were radiant. All their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps about those who 
fear him and rescues them. Chapter 34, verse 11 says, Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And we've discussed the context of what that means. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is a key verse for tonight, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Timothy 1, 7, and I use this microphone so we can record it. It goes out to our international audience on the Internet. <laughs> All right, the Internet's international, right? I don't know that we have an international audience. But, but we, we could, we could. First Timothy, Second Timothy, one seven, says this: For God, this is the Amplified Bible, did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, or of craven or and cringing and fawning fear. Think debilitating fear. God did not give us that, but He has given us, and that's what I like about the Bible. People say all the Bible does is tell you what you can't do. No, it doesn't. It tells you what not to do, but it also tells you what to do. As Mark Twain used to say, it wasn't the things in the Bible that he uh, didn't understand that bothered him so much. It was the things that he did understand. So God has not given us a spirit of timidity, cowardice, craven, and cringing, of fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Can you say amen? Now, I want you to know this is not you being self-controlled and being disciplined and having a sound mind and being calm, and, and, but this is not you in and of yourself. This is God giving you the spirit. You don't have this spirit. No, you might be courageous, but look at the definition. Okay, it says, God has given us a spirit of power and of love, those two don't typically go together. Okay, a spirit of power, all the, man, all the men sign up for that. A spirit of love, not too many cats signing up for that. That's all the ladies in that line. Oh, we want love. Men want power. This spirit that God gives you is a, is a power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Self-control Fruit of the ninth fruit of the Spirit, all of the other fruits lead to that one, self-control. But God gives you that. So God has given us a spirit of power. When we're doing his work, we're proclaiming his word, when we're representing him in his kingdom, all that we need is there for us. Everything that we need is available to us. No matter how impossible the task may seem or how difficult it may be, everything we need is there because he's given us a spirit of power. It's there now, available, resident power within you. Not your own power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're safe in his hands. He's also given us a spirit of love. That tells us a lot about the power that he's given us. Again, when we think power, we think in terms of strength, might, control, dominance even. But Jesus 
power is expressed in his love. So the kind of power that God gives is power that's expressed in love, and it's a servant kind of love. You remember when Jesus was with the disciples, and he was illustrating a powerful point. It says in John 13, 11, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, what did he do with that power? He washed the disciples' feet. As they were arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom, powerful object lesson, Jesus slips aside and begins to wash their feet. That's power. See, the power is not in the one who's the strongest, but the one who's the meekest. That's why the meek shall inherit the earth. Not the powerful. We've seen in Revelation, the powerful kingdoms are going to topple. They're not going to be around because there's only one powerful kingdom. And he's the king of that is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Um. Isn't that interesting? He, he has given us a spirit of power, spirit of love, and a sound mind. A sound mind. This is not something that you create. It's something God gives you. And that word means the idea of a calm, self-controlled mind. In contrast of the panic and confusion that rushes in when we're in a fearful situation. There's a calmness about you. And it may not be that you're not concerned, but it may be that you just understand that there's a supernatural thing that God's doing within you. You may understand that while everyone else is freaking out about all this other stuff, you know God's doing something. You're seeing things beyond just what's there. This is not even experience that gives you a calmness. I'll never forget when I was, when we, we used to play at the old convention center, for those you've been in town a hundred years, long, long, long time ago, and one of the guys on our team, Sidney Green, he grew, he grew up in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, oh man, and we heard it all the time. I'm from Brooklyn, man. So, oh, you from Brooklyn, man? I know. One time we we're playing Oklahoma, some some team there, not University of Oklahoma, and it was literally raining on the court. That's like Oklahoma back in the day, right? It's like, what in the world is this? And so anyway. In the midst of the game, you know, Sydney and this other guy start, you know, banging, and they start like, they, they, you know, that guy's crying, hey, man, man, you know. And Sydney says this. This was his calling card. He says, man, I'm from Brooklyn. You know what the dude said? He said, well, you in Oklahoma City tonight. I went, ooh. <laughs> that was funny. I thought, oh, my gosh, that's funny. Nothing ever happened, you know. Huh? I'm good. Thank you. I, I think I... He said, you would, he said it with a southern drawl, too. I was like, oh, man, don't start nothing, man, up in here. All right? We ain't going to make it. Right? <laughs> um, his mom, anyway, one time there was like somebody had, you know, the game was already over. Almost everybody was gone, and some knucklehead phoned in a bomb scare. It's like, what an idiot. Man, okay, first of all, you shouldn't be doing that. And there was no bomb, but if you are, never mind. You know, it's like the game, no, there's like 12 people in here. I'm just saying, right? That's irrelevant. But so anyway, Sydney Green, his mother was at the game, and she's, she's like, you know, she's from Brooklyn. She grew up in Brooklyn before Sydney grew up in Brooklyn. She's deep in the cut in Brooklyn. And so they're saying the security, you know what I'm saying, sister, you're, 
he's like, hey, you guys need to get out of here. Come on, there's a bomb scare. And I'm kind of like, oh, you know, I'm starting to think, okay, we better, you know. And then, and then Mrs. Green is like, you know, I said, Miss Green, come on, there's a bomb square, scare. She goes, honey, I'm from Brooklyn. That stuff don't scare us. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> That's not even the calm mind I'm talking about. That's a calm mind. That's a calm mind due to experience. But what the Lord is talking about is a calm mind as a result of his spirit being within you and him giving you that. That's, that's what that is. See the difference? There's a difference there because one is natural through experience. The other is supernatural. That's what God has given you. And so... Check this out. We do not need to accept what God has not given us. We don't need to accept the spirit of fear. It doesn't mean there aren't fearful circumstances or fearful situations, but we won't have a spirit of fear because God hasn't given us that. It has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with him. See, it's, it's, it's the spirit that causes King David to go fight a giant when everyone else is hiding. God gave him a spirit of courage. Everybody else had a spirit of fear. See? So we don't have to have a spirit of fear. It doesn't mean there are situations that concern you. That's not what that means. That's not reality. But there's a calmness that you have, and you're not afraid. And so we humbly receive and walk in what he's given us, the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Boldness matters. Without it, we can't fulfill God's purpose for our lives. And God's purpose is more than what we might think. It's more than making money. It's more than being entertained, than being comfortable. It's utilizing those gifts to touch other people that are in need. So fear and timidity will keep us from using the gifts that God has given us to reach the people he wants us to reach. It's true. Fear and timidity will keep us from utilizing the gifts that God has given us to reach the people that are in need, that he has even anointed us to reach. Do you know if there's a people group, if there's a place where God has, has, has called you to, he will anoint you to reach those people. He will give you the words. He'll, he'll give you the supernatural ability to have courage when everyone else is afraid of those people or everyone else is afraid of that place. That's why there are missionaries who are in the Middle East. They've been anointed to be there. Of course they're afraid. Of course they know their life could end at any moment. That doesn't deter them. That's why Sisi is in Beijing and has been there for 15 years. And missionaries will tell you, you can't do that, honey. You can't do what you're doing. And she will say, I've been doing it for 15 years. Why? She's been anointed to be there. Therefore, when all of the authority of Red China comes against her, she stands not in her own strength, but in the courage of the Lord. That doesn't back her down. She just comes right at him because she understands that she's been called to be there and anointed to be there. So she's courageous in it. But we have to take that step, don't we? We have to take that step. Okay, so four kinds of fear, and there are many. Here's one fear, worldly anxiety. 
worldly, and it's the kind of fear that grips you. It's the fear about the future. It's you, you, it's, the Bible tells us to plan our future with open hands. The, the, the Proverbs are filled of scriptures that speak about planning your steps. In, in, a man directs his way, but the Lord plans his steps. So we partner with God with an open hand. We say, God, what would you like? And we move out in that. Okay? So worldly fear, the gripping kind of fear, that's not a fear that comes from God. A second one is, that's a good kind of fear, is the fear of the power of authorities. Did you know that the authority that is in place has been placed there by God, and they are his servants? It says, Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Interesting. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who do right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you, li would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. That's a healthy fear. That's a good fear, because it leads us to another kind of fear that we need to have. See? The authorities are good servants sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. So, <clears throat> on the one hand, that's a good kind of fear that you fear the authorities, but on the other hand, it's a bad kind of fear if you don't and you do wrong. Uh, I'm looking at my notes here. So, a worldly kind of fear, a fear that could be good or bad, depending on how you live. Um, and then here's another one, the fear of man and what others think. That's a big one. The fear of man or what others think. Now, we tend to think that usually when we're younger, that becomes, that's a bigger issue where we with peer pressure, where we care, well, man, what are my friends going to think? But as we get older, we don't always get away from that. Oh, man, what are, what are my friends going to think? Or, you know, if I, if I don't, if I, if I become full on for Christ, what will everybody think of me? What will my family think of me? Okay? The fear of man. Or the fear of what others will think. There's an amazing story of a man who uh, Michael Francis is his name. And he was a captain in the mafia, for real, high up. I forget the particular family. I forget it. And I've heard him speak numerous times. His testimony is amazing. He was at one time in the Forbes top 10 mafia, bo ma mafia bosses finance, finances because he literally ran millions of dollars through his through his family he was he was the couple in charge of finances well and i i've heard his testimony and i've met him and i've talked to him face to face i, I mean he's he, he travels all over the world and gives his testimony 
And how did he get out of that? Because you're not supposed to get out. When you're that deep, you don't get out. You don't get out. I mean, you either go to jail for the rest of your life, prison for the rest of your life, or you die. And he simply said that, you know, he started dating a gal who was serious about Christ. I don't know if she was when he dated her, either either at the beginning or she gets born again. Now, okay, and 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 there's this amazing attraction that he has. She's now she's full on with Christ. Anyway, long story short, because of her relationship with Jesus, he comes to Christ. He comes to Jesus, and he does. I don't know. I think he did like eight years. I forget how much time he did in federal penitentiary. Long story short is that he understood that he either had to fear God or fear men. And you know what? Nothing ever happened to him because, because he was sworn to secrecy. Whether you want to judge that as right or wrong was between you and, and God. But he said, I will never rat on anyone. I just won't do that. And I'm never going back. And so they figured, okay, it's not like he's telling anybody anything. And secondly, he's already done his time. And thirdly, he's not coming back. So they let him go. <laughs> Why? Because of his fear of God. Look him up, Michael Franzese. Amazing. There's, in fact, there was a movie. In fact, in the, the what is it, Goodfellas? He, there, he, there, his character is in that movie. His character is in that movie. I've never seen the movie, but his character's in the movie. Anyway, or TV show, whatever it is. Fear of man, fear of God. <clears throat> fear of what others will think. So here's another good kind of fear, the fear of God's judgment. That fear can be good or it can be, can be bad. Because fearing what God's final judgment, that's a good thing to direct your life. But if you continue only to do things because of your fear of judgment, then you miss out on relationship. Let me back up to the fear of what others will think. I, for, I forgot to mention this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. I have to read this. Peter, the apostle, man of God, says, When Peter came to Antioch, I, this is Paul speaking, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Woo! Peter was more concerned about what other people thought than about those Gentile believers. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Anyway, the fear of what others think is powerful. And at some time, if you're following and walking in the ways of the Lord, you've got to choose between what God is saying and what other people are telling you at some point. And it's, it's multiple times, too. You have to choose. I think there's a lot of great works that God wanted to do through people that didn't get done because of what someone 
because someone was more concerned about what other people would think. Okay, so the fear of God's judgment, knowing of his power and his divine judgment and his imminent return should cause us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Mark 13, 32 says, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, nor not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man will be illustrated by the, uh, uh, by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about their work they were to do, and he told the gatekeepers to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives. Without warning, I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. That's the fear of God's judgment of being caught off guard. And that's a good kind of fear as long as we don't lose the fact that God loves us too and all we ever do for him is out of fear. You get that? You get that? I mean, at some point, children need to do things out of love, not just out of fear. Okay? Here's another good kind of fear, the fear of consequences. That's a good fear. We try to tell, used to tell young people all the time, stop and think about the decision before you take a half a second and ask yourself, what could possibly go wrong here? Think about that. And let that help you maybe not do it. Because if it could possibly happen, it might. But what happens? It's not going to happen to me. Lots of people have done this. Didn't happen to them. And we justify that when we don't even know who those people are. Them. Others. We don't know who they are. And we read in the newspapers every day. Some situation. That's not just young people, but it is a lot. Where you think, man. They didn't think about consequences. Adults, too, didn't think about how is this going to affect my kids? How is this going to affect my future? Half a second. Stop. It's not worth it, man. But then what will others think? Ah, see how they run together? First of all, I'm going to think about the consequences. I don't care what other people think because I fear God more than I fear man. And... I'm going to let that determine my behavior. And so here's another fear that's a good fear. It's the fear that honors God's holiness and his love. Another fear. The fear that honors God holy, his holiness and his love. I'll say it again. Do you want your children to do things because they fear you or because they love you? Do you want them to not do things because they fear you or because they love you. When they're children, it's okay if it's just fear. Because <laughs> you might have to open up that can. The rod of correction. But guess what? When your son's biceps are bigger than yours, you might want to double think that. <laughs> when he looked at you and said, excuse me? You'd be like, hey, hey, wait a minute now. I'm kidding. But as children, we grow up. Right? 1 Peter 1.17 says this. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Do you believe that? Do you know God's not American? You know that, right? 
You know, Jesus wasn't Republican nor Democrat. You know that, right? You know God has no favorites, none at all. Do you know God loves the Taliban and he loves ISIS? Just as much as he loves you? It's just that you're his son, you're his daughter. So does he love you more? Well, I don't know. I don't know if he does or doesn't. God so loved the whole world that he gave Jesus. It's just that by his grace, you responded. Sometimes we think we're better because we're on this side and they aren't, but we're not. We're not. That's why every once in a while, a Michael Francis gets born again. A uh, Nikki Cruz gets born again. Someone who we think is destined to hell gets saved. We go, wow. Saul becomes Paul, right? Anyway, he has no favorites. He will judge He will judge, or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. That's it. That's a good way. That's a good way to live. Live in reverent fear. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver. Isn't that interesting? Peter says mere gold and silver, which lose their value. See, we don't think gold or silver ever. That's what we want. And he goes, hey, your salvation wasn't paid with gold or silver. That loses its value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days he has been revealed for your sake. See, that's a fear that honors God's holiness and his love. It's a fear that, that says, I love God, therefore I won't do that. I, I, I see a God is a holy God, therefore I will do this. That's, that's it. That's it. So when you have that kind of fear, you walk in repentance. Quickly, you repent. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry, Lord, that I did that. I'm sorry, Lord. But you, you walk in the, in the spirit, and you walk in the awe of God. Fear. That's a word. Yeah, that, that old English word, awesome the, 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 the prefix of that awe comes from the old English word awful. You walk in the awe of God. All that's wrapped up in that word. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a respect. There's an honor. The holiness of God. The power of God. He's amazing. And so we walk in that awe. Knowing the depth with which he went to redeem us can cause us to, to shudder and cringe from sin. Knowing how much he paid because he loved us causes us to walk away from sin, even to the point where we hate it. I've heard people who, who have come to that point where that which was a pleasure and an addiction for them became repulsive to them. That's the grace of God. Where, where that which you ran to and you indulged in became 
obnoxious to you where you didn't want anything to do with it. Ah, that's God. All right, Philippians 2.12 gives us another scripture, and then we'll close it out. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent. Work out. You know the scripture? Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. How do you work it out? With fear and trembling. Here's what that means in the Amplified Bible. Work out means cultivate, carry out to the goal to fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling. And, and he says, Paul does, that trembling means self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shri uh, shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Wow. Come on. Wow. Is that not quotable? Is that a plaque that should be on all of our walls somewhere? Work out, cultivate out to the goal. Fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling. Self-distrust. You're not trusting in yourself. Serious caution. Not ca serious caution. Tenderness of conscience. Watchfulness against temptation. Timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Wow. Wow. And that's because of the fear of the Lord. Because I'm working out my salvation. How? With fear. Doesn't mean I'm working for my salvation. I already have that. I'm already in the club. But I'm working it out with fear and trembling. Good. Self-distrust. Serious caution. Tenderness of conscience. Watchfulness. Shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. So, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, uh, says this. <coughs> Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. King Solomon, arguably, probably, the wisest man who ever lived, not including Jesus, of course, but anybody else, with exception of Adam, I believe Adam was more wise than Solomon. Solomon got supernatural wisdom from God downloaded into him, supernatural. God said, I'm going to give you wisdom like none other. Here's what he said. At the conclusion of his life in Ecclesiastes, had more wealth, had more women, 1,700 women, 700 wives, 300 concubines, excess galore. Silver was like dirt when he was, it says that because, because of the, the temple that he built, Solomon's temple. You cannot place a dollar value on how expensive that was. You can't do it. It was so extravagant. You cannot place a dollar. People from all over the world came to see that temple. And it was destroyed, as God said it would be. Solomon says, here's the conclusion. Let me wrap it up for you, folks. Been there, done that, read the book, bought the T-shirt, owned the T-shirt company. <laughs> had a worldwide distribution. Had camels, had horses, had chimpanzees, had women, wine, song, whatever it is. Lifestyles of the rich and famous were all welfare compared to Solomon. Okay? And this is what he says. He says, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's it. Fear God. Keep his commandments. Isn't that so? Here's the, the wisest man who ever lived, 
summarizing life, and he says, fear God. There it is, again, and keep his commandments. So the whole, this is the whole duty of man, all right? Well, so how do you walk in the fear of the Lord? Here's a practical way that might help you. And, and let's try to implement this this week, okay? The next time you're faced with a decision, large or small, take the time to ask the Lord, what's the best thing for me to do here? How do I show honor and respect and fear before I decide this? Lord, I want to please you in every decision I make. When we take the time to ask him, that's evidence that the fear of the Lord is in operation in our lives because we don't want to make a step without first looking this way. Can I give a crude analogy? It's crude. If your dog is trained and the process of training, it's never about where he wants to go or what he wants to do, is it? With that leash, it's a short leash. But through training, he learns to stop when you stop, to walk when you walk. Not only does he stop, he stops and he sits. And, and I mean, I'm not a dog trainer, but I've had dogs in the past, and you know, I've done a little bit of that. And it's amazing how at some point you, you move on from that, but you can even take that leash off. And the dogs that are good, it doesn't matter if the cat runs across the road. It doesn't matter if there's a, if there's a whole bunch of, you know, rival dogs in the neighborhood. When they're at your side, they're at your side. And you can even do this. And it gets to the point, you even have to give, you just give hand signals. You could do this and turn and walk away. And they'll stay right there. What are they looking at? You. Here they come. Boom. Right, right to your side. Man, that's probably a good way that we ought to live. Okay, Lord, I'm watching you. God says stop. We sang the song. God says stop. We go. Stop. God says walk. We walk. Then it's a crude analogy, but it's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, so. On the other hand, when God asks you to do something, walk in the fear of the Lord. Do it right away. Do it right away. That's how we illustrate that we are walking in the fear of the Lord. Amen? And you know what? It's a good thing because you're going to fear something. I don't fear nothing. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I don't fear, I don't fear nothing. Yes, you do. Jump out in the ocean about a mile out. See how you do. That movie, what is it? Courageous about the pilot? No, no, different movie. What was the movie? Unbroken. 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 This man was fearless. Fearless. And he spent what? How many days at sea? I think it was like three months. Was It was crazy. Yeah, it was like three months at sea. I saw the movie, I can't remember. And he talked about, I, he's now gone on to be with the Lord, but he talked about when the sharks were circling, bumping the boat. He goes, how 
beautiful. He goes, you just like, like everything you, you can't possibly fear. I mean, like, think about fear. How about fear of getting eaten alive? <clears throat> and that's fear. And, and anyway, Father, we love you. We honor you. Help us to walk in a way that blesses you. We need you, Holy Spirit, to do this. Paul says we've not been given a, a, a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We know what that means now. So, God, when we're not walking in that, it's because we're not yielded to it. So help us to yield. Help us to walk in that. There's great comfort in knowing that. Where it even says those who walk in the fear of the Lord will. There's all kinds of blessings associated with it. So, Lord, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.